Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, August 3rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... The greater number of cases you have, the greater possibility of deaths you have. So that's why it's so important that we keep it out of the facilities. Long-term care facilities face outbreak risks as the state battles the worst period of community transmission. Then, additional unemployment benefits made possible through the CARES Act have expired. We examine what it means for Mississippi's recipients. Plus, education professionals continue to navigate the ever-changing challenges of the coronavirus pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Health experts say there have been astounding outbreaks of the coronavirus in Mississippi's long-term care facilities, LTCs, which include nursing homes, care for Mississippians who are the most at risk for COVID-19. In May, the health department tested every resident and worker in these facilities. The early results were promising, with the number of outbreaks shrinking below 75. But now the virus is once again threatening the state's most at-risk population. Dr. Paul Byers is the state epidemiologist. We're still seeing a significant impact in our most vulnerable populations. We're still seeing a significant impact on our long-term care settings. We, you know, dealt with outbreaks of, of respiratory viral illness in nursing homes and other settings before during flu seasons, but not to this extent. Um, And so we still need to continue to do those measures to protect those folks in those most vulnerable settings. Mississippi has over 170 facilities with outbreaks of the virus after reaching a record high of 203 outbreaks last week. Tony Hamrick, president of the Mississippi Healthcare Association, shares more on the recent rise of outbreaks with our Kobe Vance. I think that uh, strictly related to the public being back out circulating, in situations that are improper for what we're fighting. No mask, uh, they're gathering too closely, they're not watching social distancing. And of course, when the numbers in the community go up, 
the numbers in the long-term care facilities are going to go up because the people in the communities are who work in our long-term care facilities. If Mississippi were to try mass testing on long-term care facilities, do you think it would even have the same impact as it did the previous time? I think it would. I think I think that merely the numbers going up as they were yesterday and the day before in this climb. I mean, in my area, uh, when I'm in and I, when I'm out and about, I'm seeing everybody with a mask. I'm not seeing any unmasked public anymore. So uh, I think the, the sheer fact that the numbers are going up has caught people's attention again. And they're refocusing, but I think if we test it again, it would certainly uh, give us a true picture of, of how many positives we have out there. And I think it would it would get the attention of the public again. You know, the long-term care community cannot prevent it from coming in the building if the general public is not going to abide by the rules. Education is still very important, and following all the rules is still very important. And so what efforts have you been doing to try to keep that education up and uh, enforcing rules like that? Well, we still maintain uh, screening at all the entrances of all the facilities. Um, we still educate in, in, in my building and in many administrators that I uh, come in contact with. It's a daily education. You talk about it every morning in your morning meetings. Uh, you ask, you discuss the temperatures. Were there any fevers yesterday? Were there any residents with fever yesterday? Uh, we recap that every day, and then we're required in nursing homes to offer an hour's uh, training every month to our uh, certified nursing assistants for them to maintain licensure, and it's covered um, extensively in those monthly meetings with them. And then, but uh, you know, all administrators are talking about it every day, especially buildings that have cases in the building. I mean, that's their focus: is to educate and talk and and make sure that the staff they keep the they keep the issue and the potential harm and the education piece in front of their staff daily. And as far as um, what are your fears for people with compromised immune systems in long-term care facilities? You know, this is something we talked about at the beginning of the pandemic. But now, as we've seen, you know, now over 200 uh, long-term care outbreaks, at least in facilities, um, what, what are your fears there? Well, my fears are that vulnerable population with all the comorbidities – uh, if it's if it follows the same pattern that it did earlier, I mean, the greater number of cases you have, the greater possibility of deaths you have, and uh, so that's why it's so important that we keep it out of the facilities, uh, you know, and that we manage that because I mean, the more cases, the more deaths. That's just the way the, the mathematics works of the whole situation. Um, I've talked to doctors um, in like U UMMC, and they're saying that they're. They're just beat down. It's been months and months of nonstop COVID-related issues, and they're tired and they are exhausted. Um, what are things like in long-term care facilities that you've seen, both with the staff there as well as the residents and their families? Um, you know, the residents, I will say in the building that I'm uh, stationed in right now, that, um, you know, the residents are dependent on us for everything and so it's our responsibility even though they're isolated and all of those things we've we've doubled down and offered extensive activities we take them outside when they're able to go outside and we still uh, manage uh, social distancing and mask and uh, we do everything that we can to keep them socially active uh, and still maintain safety we still engage them we've got a great activities department 
all nursing homes and long-term care facilities should rely heavily on your activities, individuals, and make sure that they understand the importance now more than ever to engage these residents, offer things in room, uh, offer things in small group settings that they can maintain social distancing and safety practices. If you've got an area that you can take a small group outside, do that, uh, because I know that will prevent some of the effects of isolation. As far as staff goes, I can tell you it's statewide that everybody that I speak to uh, is in the same situation as the doctors you mentioned at University Medical Center. People are completely worn out physically, mentally, uh, emotionally, uh, especially if you've been around death, if you've lost residents. The mere fact of having to uh, think ahead and stay uh, and stay on top of the uh, infection control practices daily. Uh, we've, we're, we're, we're noticing buildings that are losing staff, uh, and not just line staff individuals. We're noticing management that just can't do it anymore and have decided to just step away from it now and not be involved anymore because it is very taxing. This has been going on since March, and uh, it's a daily 24-hour uh, task to keep your residents and your employees safe. And uh, anything for any individual that long and that much stress has an effect on you, a negative effect on you. So, yes, we're seeing it. We're seeing the, the effects of it with our staff in, all over the state. It's, it takes its toll on people, as, as, and it's natural. It's a natural response to excess stress. Tony Hambrick is the president of the Mississippi Healthcare Association. If you have a question or concerns about the coronavirus pandemic, tune in to MPB TV, Think Radio, or online Wednesday, August 5th for a special at issue. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs will be answering your questions live starting at 7 p.m. To submit your questions, visit mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. Coming up, additional unemployment benefits made possible through the CARES Act have expired. We examine what it means for Mississippi's recipients. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians collecting unemployment benefits will have to begin providing work searches, according to the State Department of Employment Security. More than 430,000 Mississippians have filed for unemployment benefits over the past three months. Executive Director Jackie Turner says the governor's executive order, which waived job searches because of the coronavirus pandemic, is about to expire. The work search waiver is in place until August 8th, and after August 8th, the work search requirements will go back into effect. There's a requirement for three work searches. While Turner says she can't speak for employers, she says some tell them it's difficult to keep staff in part because of the $600 federal unemployment pandemic supplement. People refuse to return. But the deadline to receive the additional supplement ended Friday, July 31st. Turner added some people have safety concerns. It's a fearful time and you vacillate and worry between keeping people safe, the need to have 
companies keep going, and it has to happen for our economy to, to be sustainable in Mississippi and across the country. Eddie McCurdy of Ridgeland wants to work. He says he was laid off in March at a theater, brought back to work last month, and then laid off again. The 26-year-old tells our Desiree Frazier the federal supplement has helped during difficult times. The first time um, we shut down, it was, I think, yeah, mid-March. Yeah, right as uh, spring break was was hidden for the kids at school. And um, we had originally decided to keep at least some of us on to work, you know, you know, 20, 30 hours a week to keep the place up and running. Um, but that didn't last very long. And so I was uh, unemployed the first time about the end of March up until uh, June the 15th when we opened back up again. Um, and after that, uh, they because they wanted to just try to make some money, see what we could do, see if we could get people to the theaters. Um, but um, it's just not – it hasn't been busy. Um, nobody's wanting to come out anymore, <laughs> you know, so it's been, it's been tough. In terms of unemployment benefits, were you able to get unemployment and the federal supplement of $600? I was, um, the first time, I, uh, the first time that I, uh, that I, um, applied, I did get the, uh, the regular, the 200 plus the 600, um, and I was getting that up until I went back to work in June. And so now, are you able to apply for unemployment again? Um, yes, ma'am, I did, actually, yesterday. Um, and they did let me file a new claim. Um, so I'm hoping to hear back from them soon. <laughs> what did it mean to you to have that extra 600 over the period that you did? Well, it helped me. I was able to get some of my finances under control. Um, I didn't, I didn't, you know, just spend all the money on fun stuff. I actually, I was able to help get my credit card paid down and build up my savings. So it, it helped me. I used the money wisely. Um, and I, I was thankful for that. When you heard that that might not be coming back, what did you think? Um, I'm, I used to, I, I'm not upset about it i could use it but um i was always taught the value of hard work in which when i get home i'm actually going to go start applying for other jobs so i it, like i said i'm i'm going to go back to work and i'm not just going to sit on my butt and earn money for nothing um so if it's if i don't get the extra 600 that's fine um it, temporarily i can just take what i can get from them until i can get another job or until i go back to uh to full-time employment with the my company. That additional $600 didn't keep you from going back to work, which has been one of the things that um, has been said. It has been a deterrent to people going back to work, but that didn't seem to be an issue for you. No, ma'am. Um, like not? I said, like I said, I was raised in a family where I was taught from an early age, go to job, go to, go to work, get a job and earn your own money and, and, and work hard for a living. So I was I was thankful to have that kind of influence in my life, and so I, even with the amount of money I was getting a week, I was like, I can't, I'm I'm gonna have to go back to work because I want to go back to work. Um, that's 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 my thoughts. May I ask how old you are? I'm 26. Okay. Okay. Single. Yes, ma'am. And so, in your situation, uh, that amount of unemployment 
will sustain you. I guess if you were married and had a child, your circumstances would be different. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to share in talking about the unemployment uh, supplement and dealing with the pandemic, being out of work? It, it, I will say that it, it, it sucks. It, uh, it, it, it's, it doesn't feel good being out of a job, um, especially the second time. Um, like I said, because I, I like working <laughs> and earning the money. Um, it's just kind of uncertain right now it's it's some terrible times terrible times and looking for a job did you see that there were many openings because i know there are businesses in flux and some have closed like yours did you find that there were any opportunities out there for you there there are some opportunities uh you know i might have to go to a grocery store and stock shelves or whatever but that's still an honest living and i'm fine with that well, Eddie, I really appreciate you speaking with us. And I should say, Eddie McCurdy. Um, yes, ma'am. I, I appreciate you speaking with us and sharing your thoughts. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate y'all calling me. And we wish you well. Mississippi's unemployment rate is at 8.7%, lower than the national rate of 111 Coming up, education professionals continue to navigate the ever-changing challenges of the coronavirus pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. Join me on Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast about the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. And of course, All of MPB's other great podcasts are there, too. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Coming August 1st to your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. When the calendar turns to August, it usually means students and teachers are priming for the return to school. But in the environment of a lingering pandemic, the questions of how and if students go to school is ever-changing. Governor Tate Reeves, who has been advocating for in-person learning, acknowledges school leaders are in a tough spot. I completely sympathize with our local school leaders that are having to make decisions unlike any decision they've ever had to make in their life. The reality is the vast majority of Mississippians want to do the right thing. It's hard to know exactly what the right thing is. But my point to everyone is this. There are risks associated with every single possible decision on our menu. We are talking about making the decision that has the least negative impact and the most positive impact on the most possible number of kids in Mississippi. And so uh, we're going to try to get to a point where we can get uh, as many kids as we can back in the classroom in a safe, responsible way so that they can learn, so that we can get back to showing the world what it means after conservative education reforms to see significant educational attainment improvements in our state. 
So far, one school district has returned to on-campus learning. In Corinth, teachers and students returned to the classroom last Tuesday. By Friday, the district was reporting its first positive case of COVID-19. Erica Jones is with the Mississippi Association of Educators. She tells our Ashley Norwood education professionals are facing a number of challenges during this pandemic. They want to return to the classrooms only when it is safe to do so. Many of them sent in different options on how they would like to see schools started again. Uh, two of the highest options would be virtual and hybrid learning. And then also for a third thing, they mentioned that if they could do a start, like a late start after September. Other needs teachers feel will be important. Um, I saw technology, funding for yes. PPE, con- you know, uh-huh. concerns about SPED curriculum. Can we, you know, kind of look at those three topics as, as well? We can take it one, you know, one by one. So when we think about technology, what is that going to look like? Some of the concerns of our educators uh, include, will each individual student have technology that's provided to them? Will that be something that parents have to provide? If we're looking at doing virtual learning, do our communities have the uh, broadband that they need in order for students to access internet? So that's another part of the technology piece there. Will educators have the technology that they need to broadcast their lessons virtually? Moving on to the funding for uh, the PPE, uh, we're advocating for our educators not only to have face masks, but often in the early grades like our K-2 classrooms for them to have a face shield. That face shield allows for the educator and the students to communicate with one another using some nonverbal cues. It's also important when our educators are teaching uh, phonics and when we have students that are having trouble with speech, those are some key items that people may not think about that are needed there as far as PPE. Moving on to that third point, which was our special education and our inclusion population, uh, we heard throughout the pandemic when our uh, educators were doing virtual learning from March into May that that set of uh, population was often excluded for, from some curriculums. So we want to ensure that when we return, if we have to go back and we have to do virtual learning, that that population is included in the resources that are given. Uh, we know many of those students require additional services from like an occupational therapist or a speech-language pathologist, making sure that we have all of the educators at the table when decisions are being made concerning their curriculum. So, so what was the issue there? Some students weren't did they not have the resources or do they just not learn as well online? It's a combination of both because a lot of our uh, special education population require like face-to-face opportunities to learn because that's how they best interact. And we uh, know that that wasn't possible during the months of March through May because of the pandemic. So that's something we want to advocate that they do have the resources available. If we had to go back to virtual teaching, that they have the Zoom capabilities or Google Hangout or Google Classroom in order to be serviced. Another point, so nearly 95% of educators believe suspending uh, the 2021 state testing is necessary. Talk about that and, and, and why that is. And I'm also curious, you know, what has to happen to 
to suspend uh, state testing? We want state testing to be suspended for the 2021 school year so that our schools can focus on remediation and getting our students back up to speed and ensuring that they're getting the social, emotional, and mental health support that they need. Many of our students have been out of school for five, for over five months. Uh, we don't know what type of trauma they might have witnessed or experienced. So in order to focus on their well-being, we want to not just focus on the state testing, but focus on their mental health, their social and emotional well-being. Um, many times when state testing is involved, you have educators that spend a great amount of time getting students prepared for those state tests. But what we know to be important during this time is our students' safety and mental and social and emotional well-being. Those state tests, they, go, they just simply take away from many educators' abilities to connect with their students Will there be any consequences if students, if they did waive testing this year? We've seen other states that have already started to ask for waivers. And now we are hearing an argument about federal dollars that may not be sent to the state. That's unclear at the time, but we have seen other states to begin those uh, processes of asking for the state testing to be suspended for the 2020-2021 school year. Erica Jones, president of the Mississippi Association of Educators, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for your time. The district's plans for return were due last Friday. Governor Reeves has said he will review the plans and make further recommendations. A number of districts in the state are set to begin classes this week. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.